I'm Nick Terzo, and you are listening to The Radical. There's a saying that all you need to do to master the piano is study the legendary Ray Charles, and everything else will take care of itself. My guest this week demonstrates this advice with the release of his new record, In Plain Sight. Learning piano at a very early age, he has gone on to master the Yamaha CP70. Neil Francis joins me this week to discuss how music redirected him from studying architecture, living in a church's parish house during COVID-19, his songwriting practice, and his deep appreciation for piano pioneers of another era. Coming up, my conversation with Neil Francis. Hi, Neil. Hey, Nick. How you doing? I'm great. I'm really uh, glad to meet you, and I'm happy to have this conversation today. Likewise, man. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So you have a new record coming out in November, uh, In Plain Sight, and this is your uh, second album? Correct. Very nice. Um, it's on ATO Records. Yeah. Well, congratulations. It's quite, a, uh, it's quite an undertaking. The music, the songs are quite incredible. I don't, it's hard to explain what you're doing because at times it feels very modern. Um, and at times I feel like I'm taken back somewhere in like the seventies or something. So, uh, I appreciate that. It's a really interesting ride, man. Thank you. Um, so tell me as you got to this record, I mean, changes was your debut record. Um, what changed for you kind of in this process this time? I mean, was there something that was um, better, uh, less better? Is your writing uh, easier? I don't know uh, if I would say easier, but I think I've become a better writer. I think I've become more disciplined just as a human being, as uh, a musician, as things have solidified with um, the career. Granted, uh, all our tour dates got canceled last year. And so I had to shift gears and find something to do. And uh, luckily I had a roof over my head, you know, courtesy of uh, the people at St. Peter's. And so like that gave me an open schedule, which was its own curse at times because I just, like I said, I, without any sort of imposed structure, I tend to fill my time with things that aren't worthwhile. So I had to just develop habits that were healthy. You well, know? join the club. On yeah. That, um, we all have that problem. There's Absolutely. too many path, paths in front of us. Um, yeah. That's what entails. Um, tell me a little bit. I'm curious about that whole thing of like finding a room like in a parsonage. Um, exp explain that to me a little bit. So I uh, was an accompanist at this church in Chicago for three years. And it was a great gig for me because I learned how to read music and um, it was a good paycheck and it was very nice people. And 
um, you know, as I started touring, they were very lenient with me, uh, providing subs, et cetera, et cetera. So I developed a great relationship with, uh, Lil Asbury, the, uh, the woman who ran the church essentially. And so like, I don't know, I, I had always noticed that the parsonage was vacant, um, for a long period of time. And then I was in a situation where I needed a place to live in short order. Um, and just had, I think I was pretty strung out at the time, just due to lack of sleep and like emotional exhaustion, um, from a breakup I was going through and just had the courage to ask whether I could stay. And to my surprise, they agreed. And a week later I was moving in to the parsonage. And then a few days after that, I left on a month long tour opening for the black Pumas. And it was like, pretty surreal to come back to this massive building. Um, and gradually it, it became to feel like a home, you know, but, uh, even looking back on it now, it's pretty surreal. The whole experience. Right. I mean, was there any, uh, spiritual events? Was there any, uh, I mean, was there inspiration in there? Was there energy you felt being in that parsonage? Yeah, I think so. I just, I had the whole facility at my disposal and it just, I mean, being alone in those massive spaces um, gives you a, a specific sort of feeling. And I can't say whether it was external or, or internal, but I, uh, it definitely used the space to my advantage and I think became a better musician as a result of that time, just because I was cloistered, you know, that sounds right for the environment. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> let me ask you, what is your like songwriting? Like, what is your process like then? I mean, during that time, I mean, the themes that came into this record, I, some of them probably had to do with your breakup. Um, Maybe some of it was the isolation you were feeling in that environment. Um, what went on in that songwriting process while there? So I think uh, I was writing a lot of things down in a notepad or a ser series of little notebooks that were sort of jumbles of words and uh was also practicing for a long periods of time every day. And then I would sort of drift into an idea and record that uh, on my phone, wherever I was, and then have that to draw from when I was sitting in the, I gradually built out a little demo project studio in the basement of the parsonage. And that, process was its own like asset to the whole writing process because it I was working with um 
recording for the first time as uh on the engineering side um I, i've never had the ability to do that before uh and so i you know was in a situation where my guitarist left a eight track tape recorder and i had a mixing board and i just started learning to use the equipment and so like I would just create little grooves and then those started to flesh out and would write lyrics to them and snowballed from there. And then I was just kind of feverishly working once I started to get a workflow. Right. And does uh, the piano is your kind of weapon? Yes. Um... For the most part. Yeah. I'd say on the demos, I was, I was playing everything. Um, Although usually our drummer, Colin, who was also my roommate during that time, was uh, playing drums. Awesome. And so in that, I mean, were you able to put the basses together? I mean, did you guys, after that writing, go into a, a formal s- studio session? Were you allowed to do that during COVID or did you do this remotely? No, we uh, we had, everybody was down to, to come in. We, I mean we were somewhat convinced we contracted COVID coming back from Seattle, although we weren't able to test for it at the time. And so, you know, there was a, there was also just a a desire to, to work on something together, the four of us. And so we were careful enough about uh, restricting contact outside our, ourselves and our family members and then um yeah everybody came in and started rehearsing uh we did several like full-length concert films um which we recorded to tape and filmed in various location in the church and you know those were and also just like huge learning experience and uh, like we acquired so many skills uh, I know a lot of people did it it was really a blessing of the whole situation mm. and it was the records produced by Sergio Rios is that correct and then mixed by Dave Fridman yes um, Sergio is the producer from changes he also has a fantastic band called Orgone and produces many other acts but um yeah when he agreed to to fly in from LA and work in our little studio it was like okay this is this is happening you know and so i think we made those arrangements even prior to linking up with ATO formally and then you know once the record was finished and we had the roughs that's when we started um poking around and David Freeman agreed to mix the record, which is a huge, um, just a huge break for us. And really just, um, still pretty amazing to think that he was involved, you know, cause I'm such a fan. Well, it sounds incredible. Thank you. So he did, he did his job on that end. Um, I mean, at the same time, while you were at this like parsonage situation, I mean, did you have to provide, you know, any kind of musical services like praise music or anything to the church? Yeah. So, uh, up until probably Easter of this year, 
there were still services going on via Zoom. And sometimes like last summer when every it was like this weird moment last summer, like even before the vaccines, when things started like chilling out and like we were having services in person again. And uh, yeah, so it was like, you know, all right, guys, uh, you know, nobody come downstairs while I'm doing this trip. Like, you know, we'd be up till six or seven in the morning. Um, you know, at, at a certain point I had the workflow. So it was as simple as me recording the songs and bouncing them to our vocalist and he would just play them over zoom. So I would just literally sit there. Um, but it was just a, a strange addition to the whole experience it was like, all right, I got to do this church service and then you know, jump into recording for the day. It was like, you know, in addition to probably the 13 or 15 hour day we worked and then like I had the church service thrown into that, like at the end of the week, it was really funny. That's amazing. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I was trying to piece together since you're, you know, look, I just discovered you. Uh, through Ken, like just recently, I was kind of surprised because it's like, how did I miss this guy oh, right um, on. on his last record? Um, so tell like for my listeners, like give me a little background on yourself. It was hard for me to even figure out kind of where you got a little mysterious. I couldn't figure out where you were raised and I couldn't get a little background on you. Oh, good. Well, I uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> appreciate a little mystery then. I uh, was born in New Jersey. Uh, in 1988 and uh, my parents moved back to Chicago when I was like one so Chicago has been my home my entire life and uh, yeah just had a great musical education there from uh, both my parents who are lovers of music and um, were always playing music in the house and also just gradually uh, connecting with musicians in my community, other kids who were playing, and then also like the broader Chicago scene, playing in the blues clubs, et cetera. All right. Did you, did you go to college or did you kind of just know music was your calling? No, I, I went to school for architecture at UIC. Did you really? Yeah. And I, I was politely asked to leave after a few years um why is that well i sort of uh i took i i think that like my extracurricular activities started to take priority over my studies and i really like lost focus for most of my 20s and wasn't able to accomplish much of anything until i uh quit drinking and 2015 when things started to sort of stabilize and um, move forward for me in many ways. Some clarity. Yeah. That's kind of what comes with that. So that's awesome. That is awesome. So who are like some of your like musical influences? Man, uh, so many, so many. I mean, like Ray Charles was an early guy I was listening to. Otis Spann, um, Scott Joplin, 
I listen to a lot of classical music. Um, I listened, you know, I was, I was drawing from everything when I was a kid, you know, just trying to, whatever I heard, I was trying to play. And um, I had a great teacher when I was like in middle school into high school named Erwin Helfer, who had just like a wall of records. And uh, sometimes we would just sit there for the entire hour and he would show me piano players like, you know, James Booker or Mead Lux Lewis or Albert Ammons. I was really into Boogie Woogie and he was a great stride Boogie Woogie player. And he was just showing me everything, you know, and he would make me little cassettes from his vinyl collection to take home. So that was its own sort of door opening. But yeah, I mean, we could sit here and talk for hours about music. Well, you're playing though. It's funny. It's like bringing back the old, you know, uh, you know, the piano won't stand up to your playing because of how hard you hit the keys and stuff. I mean, it's like, this is definitely almost like a Jerry Lee Lewis thing or like, you know, Elton John playing Saturday nights. All right. For fighting, you know, it feels like, you know, you're definitely beaten on those keys a bit. So, well, especially live to, uh, stand up to the, you know, full firepower of the the band behind me. I, I have to like really beat the keys up. Yeah. And I mean, can you, I mean, when you tour, um, uh, cause I've had this happen with piano orientated artists. I mean, is it hard? I mean, do you need to be on like a, an acoustic piano or can you kind of, what do you play on when you tour for convenience? Well, I, uh, I use a CP70 Yamaha, which I don't know if you're familiar. It's like a, it's a grand piano in, in two pieces that's sort of self-contained in their own little uh, cases. And um, there's pickups on the inside instead of a soundboard. And it's an electric instrument but it has strings and a a grand piano action. So it's really like, in my opinion, the best um, stage piano because it sounds enough like a piano. It has its own sound to be sure, but you can also have an effects loop and add any sort of, um, I use a delay and a phaser um, on the piano as well. So... And those keys are weighted to your happiness. No, it's it's a real piano. You know, it's yeah. like um, we're actually long overdue to like regulate the action, and um, it's it's actually like a, quite a difficult piano to play right now because the action's really stiff. But um, I don't know. I've learned to manipulate it, and now and now playing a real piano is like. it's a completely different experience. It's like, you know, playing with, or it's like running with uh, ankle weights or something, you know. Is that what you use to record with then too? I recorded a lot of the record on the CP70. And then I had two other pianos in the Parsonage that I, um, there was a upright that I actually learned how to play on 
I don't think I've mentioned this lately, but the uh, I don't know if you got a chance to watch the video for Can't Stop the Rain, but like that was my childhood piano that I learned to play on. And uh, I recorded the song on that piano and we we essentially sacrificed it for that video because it got completely (laughs) soaked. Um, And now it's sitting in a garage awaiting final destruction. But now save it. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame eventually for you. Oh, man. I think we're going to blow it up. (laughs) Another video? Yeah. That's great. And your band, I mean, you have a band around you. I mean, you've got a, a guy named Mike Starr who plays bass. Is that true? And a Callan Borsma, is that his name, plays guitar? Yeah. And Colin plays drums, yeah? Colin O'Brien, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those guys are my guys. They're on the record and yeah. they're on the road with me now. It's funny to see the Mike Starr name because I... You know, I signed a band called Alice in Chains and the bass player was Mike Starr. (laughs) So I kind of had this horrific flashback when I saw Mike's name. He gets that a lot. He gets, (laughs) he gets that, he gets that less frequently, but, uh, yeah, we know about that. It would take an old guy like me to remember that. So, um, we should play the rooster or something, you know, just. To something out of jar of flies, bring right. it out acoustic. So, um, so like on your career, I mean, is there a model of a, an artist's career that you've seen that you kind of admired through the history that you think you might that model might fit what I would like to see? Oh man, like I can't really say that there's a a grand strategy. I think it's, I'm just trying to keep myself in a, uh, a headspace that's conducive to me delivering good shows, writing good songs. You know, I definitely want the most for this project and this band, you know, I want to be playing, you know, big shows and I, I want a sustainable career. And that's what we've always wanted from the beginning. And, you know, I'm just so confident about this this team that we've built up around us. And, you know, it's seriously like even from the beginning and it's getting easier is that I just got to show up and be prepared. I mean, and what, you know, I get a sense sometimes life challenges you. You have some demons there. Um, of course. <laughs> we all do. Um, artists maybe a little bit more. Um <laughs> In a way. So what, like, what are those challenges for you that you've had to kind of overcome? I mean, and I, uh, I mean, initially it was drugs and alcohol that were preventing me from accomplishing really anything. Um, and then of course, as many, uh, people on the recovery path find that like, there's other things to fill the place of drugs and alcohol, when you start to feel uncomfortable, um, you know, if it's sex, food, relationships, uh, codependency, you know, um, social media, Netflix, uh, basically anything uh, to distract myself from addressing the emotions that I'm feeling. Um, And especially, you know, when the pandemic hit, I didn't have anything to do. It was just kind of, um, there was a period of just despair and depression and 
um, I don't want to say wallowing because that's like, seems like I'm ashamed of what happened, but like, I was listless for a while and it was just essential to form a, a routine, you know, and I'm so grateful for that period because I carried that through to touring. Right. Well, it's a, it's a collective, um, malaise and challenge i think that we all went through as a society absolutely Um, so and we all kind of are getting on the other side i mean you're on tour now yes you're doing your own headlining dates correct i'm in charleston uh we've been in charleston for a few days we're waiting to go to wilmington tomorrow nice um and does that help you i mean that's like an interesting you know touring certainly fills the gap yeah i'm uh grateful to be touring again absolutely that's awesome um and you're doing club shows right now yeah liners yeah we're we're headlining this is our you know um we weren't really doing headlining stuff uh prior to the pandemic we were we were starting to and then uh 2020 was supposed to be a big year in terms of touring uh we had over 150 dates on the calendar and so we're just starting to kick back up but it seems like we're in a strong position but um yeah man like 10 or 10,000 we're out there kicking ass so having fun man because i love playing with this band yeah yeah well i would love to see it live i have a strange sense that you guys capture lightning in the bottle live. I have a sneaking suspicion. Oh, Nick, I'd love for you to see us, man. Are you in, uh, are you in LA? I'm in Austin. Oh, well, we'll be there December 8th and 9th. So, ah, you know, we'll, uh, we'll put you on the list, buddy. Oh, well, that's very nice of you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And, um, you know, back to the record, there's great songs on your can't stop. The rain is fantastic. Obviously. We just spoke about that. And then you have the song uh, Prometheus. You have very good song titles. Thanks. <laughs> and that was more about your breakup. And that's our, explain our Greek reference there with Prometheus. I just uh, sort of, that was on my consciousness because of a movie called Lighthouse. that came out with uh, Robert Pattinson and uh, Willem Dafoe. Uh, it's a, pretty wild uh allegory for prometheus myth but like my drummer colin and i would always joke that we were sort of living out that um just forced isolation uh because it's about these lighthouse keepers that are stuck on an island because of a storm and so I, i just wrote the song instrumentally and uh created a demo for it on the tape machine and wrote a completely different set of lyrics to it with my friend, Chris Galbuda, who also wrote problems. I wasn't really satisfied with what we came up with. So I just like, you know, let it stew for a couple of weeks. And then eventually one day I was working on it and just, you know, like that, like that fire of uh, Mount Olympus, it just came to me, man. And <laughs> it's like, wrote it pretty quickly. Uh, it's fantastic. It's Thanks, definitely man. the way it's orchestrated. And I mean, it's a fantastic song. So. Thank you very much. 
Yeah, that could be just the record itself, that one song. So. I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that one. You should be. So you should be. And is it easy for you? I mean, it looked like there are a lot of collaborators in this group. I mean, it looks like you put together a little bit of a circus of collaboration. Is that good for you? Do you like working under those circumstances? I, I love working alone. Um, I love writing alone, but uh, there's a few people that I've had success writing with and I definitely want to continue to write with other songwriters. Um, the, the thing that I like about that is that, you know, we leave with a demo from a songwriting session, but then I always have the ability to do my own arrangement and put my own spin on it because it, for the two uh, co-written songs on the record, Problems and Can't Stop the Rain, those sounded quite different in their demo form. And, uh, you know, I immediately went back and started to envision it in my own pastiche. So, <laughs> <laughs> and do you find, uh, you know, it, we're in a world where people just release individual songs every day and every week and every month. And I mean, do you still have a, a joy or do you have a um, reverence for kind of actually making a full album work? I've only ever really tried that. Um, we've got a couple in the bag that I don't know if I'm, we recorded probably. I think 12 songs and released nine. And so those three are sort of on the shelf and I'm not sure whether they're ready to be released. Um, I think, I think I'm going to just continue to create as much as possible and then let the, uh, the office people decide how they're going to be released, you know, yeah, I just didn't know because you're re- you kind of have a reference, it seems, for like, you know, artists that go, you know, 70, 80 years back and stuff where, you know, making albums were important to what they were doing. Oh, um, well, of course. Yeah. I just thought maybe that that resonated with you versus a lot of young people now just want to throw out a track a month. Yeah, a track a month. I don't, I mean, I would never hold myself to that um, unless there was a gun to my head. Um, <laughs> that's not, that's not a fun way to create. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, <laughs> you probably do that to yourself. I don't think you need somebody else doing exactly, it. Exactly, man. I've got the uh, gun to my own head. That's uh, pretty dark imagery, but, uh, I, I do. I mean, I love good albums. It's they're the hardest thing to create is a, is a through good album that you want to listen to without switching it up. So. Yep. It is true. Is there any currently any new music you're digging by other folks that you kind of love? New music, like new, new music. Uh, I mean, like I just picked up. uh, Okay, so I will say I I had a tremendous. um, Probably uh, too luxurious trip to the record store yesterday um, in Charleston, the record stop. And uh, I picked up the two new records I picked up were um, Daddy's Home by St. Vincent. And then I picked up Thundercat, uh, Thundercat's new record. It is what it is. Um, Been enjoying both of those records digitally. 
Um, but I also picked up a bunch of like old disco stuff, like uh, some Chic, some Sister Sledge, you know, uh, some TK Records single that I'd never heard of. Uh, um, a, a Barry White <laughs> single. <laughs> I'm, I've got some DJ sets coming up actually in Austin. So I was trying to just oh, you do. <laughs> stack the deck with some some dance bangers. Man, and, uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Are you creating your own vinyl for fans? Yeah, I've got um, In Plain Sight is coming out on three different colorways of, uh, of vinyl. And uh, really proud of the album artwork. I've got a sticker right here. It's uh, Raul Urias <laughs> album cover. So, yeah, love, love vinyl. One last question for you, since we were talking about influences and it kind of went musically. Since you were an architect student, what architects did you really <laughs> kind of idealize? Absolutely. I, uh, thanks for that question. I definitely loved um, Frank Lloyd Wright because I grew up in Oak Park, uh, right down the street from, you know, I think he designed 40 buildings in Oak Park. So, uh, from an early age, I, I knew that was special. I gave tours at his home and studio starting when I was 11. Really? And a docent? Yeah, I was a docent at the home and studio. Um, wow. And then, uh, of course, the Chicago school, Daniel Burnham, share a birthday with him and uh, Louis Sullivan. And uh, I was really kind of uh, in similar way to music where I'm sort of... Uh, infatuated with a, a, a certain vein of production. I, I really like a certain style of, or just a certain period of architecture in America, at least. Well, Chicago's definitely a, uh, a snow globe of uh, fantastic architecture. Yeah. I, I mean, I love that place deeply. It's amazing. It is amazing. Well, thank you for your time. I know you're on tour, so I'm grateful that you got up early, did this with me. Oh, Nick, it's um, my pleasure, man. The record is fantastic, In Plain Sight. And uh, if you guys do yourselves any favors, you got to listen to Neil's music. It's really incredible. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Congratulations on everything. Thanks, man. Travel safe and stay safe. Yeah, man. Let's, uh, let's come out in Austin, man. I'll put you on the list for real. I'd love to see you. Sounds so. good. All right, my man. Have a good day. You too. Thank you for listening. This show originates from the podcast capital, Austin, Texas. My producer is Sean O'Neill. Visit theradicalpot.com for updates and even some merchandise. Also, please subscribe at Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I also ask that you please share episodes with your friends so we can continue to grow our community. See you all again next Friday.